and all tangled up in my mask there. I couldn't, couldn't get free. As, as I was preparing last night for just today, the today, gathering with you all and listening to um, Los Angeles Ta- Tabernacle Choir. Not sure that's exactly their name, but I had it on at full blast because Lynn is away for the weekend, so I got to listen to it at my volume. And I was just thinking, I couldn't wait for today. I couldn't wait to get together with God's people, uh, to, to be in the house of the Lord. Now we all know the theology of that. That song now just reminded me that someday we're not going to be sit- worried about, oh, I can't wait to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to be there forever, always. So I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. That's, that's something spectacular waiting for us who know the Lord and love him to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's nice to have a longtime global ministry partner with us today, Ken Reimer. Ken is a longtime partner with us in the country of Zambia, and now he's hostage in America, but they let him out, or should I say Canada let him in for a reprieve. So it's nice to have Ken with us and a friend as well. I feel like I need to put a disclaimer out this morning for the sermon, for what we have here. What you're about to experience, I think it needs to read this way, what you're about to experience is the responsibility of the participants and is not the normal practice of Calvary Baptist Church. We're really going to look today at how bad the results can be when people make bad choices. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, through chapter 7, verse 20. How bad can the results of a very bad spiritual choices get? God, governance, and grace. By the way, I had this title and this sermon all prepared. The Lord, not the whole sermon prepared, but the idea, the big idea prepared a long time ago before I knew it was election day the next day. So, so don't, Blame me if the context seems rather pointed. I had no idea the Prime Minister was calling an election for this sermon title. Had no, had no idea. But the Lord did. So, what can I say? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels, or actually literally dove dung. As the king of Israel was passing by the wall, a woman cried to him, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? from the wine press? Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him, but she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look. When the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him and the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel. 
and two saths of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and cloths, clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan. And they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of flour sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley sold for a, sh a shekel as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley will for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of, of the heavens, could this happen? The man of God had replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. This is the word of God. Our Father, as we take time now together to peer into your word, to study it, to show ourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed, I pray, O oh God, that you would open up our hearts, our minds, and receive what you have for us today. I pray, O oh God, that we'll not resist your teaching, not resist your word to us, not resist your warnings to us, but take heart, take uh, responsibility for our lives and how we are living them, be accountable to you, and Lord, I pray that our lives will change where, need, uh, where they are needed to change. Pray that we will be committed to grow in the Lord and not go back and not stay where we are. And I pray, Father, that uh, you will work powerfully through your spirit today in Jesus' name. And for his sake, I pray, amen. So this is a horrible time in Israel. We've been encountering a lot of those. 
Word of God says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And once again, we have a nation who had nothing to do with God, burdening the people of God. Something's wrong when that happens. If you recall last week, or recap of last week, we found out that from the book of Deuteronomy that when troubling times come and when God allows long periods of, of testing and struggle that it is to humble his people from their self-dependence. We also found out that it was to test people's hearts to see if they will obey the commands of the Lord. So what we infer from that is that when God allows long periods of trial and suffering to come upon his people, we are not humble. And we are not obeying his commands. And such was the case here. So we have Aram showing up again. The Arameans show up again. And not just a raiding party this time. Do you notice what it says in verse 24? The entire army marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There had been skirmishes before, but this is a moment of time where God is continuing to get their attention and it means business. If we do not turn from the ways we've been living, God turns up the heat. They had been relying on a climate productivity God. And wanted Yahweh too. I, I want to drive in that concept today a lot. It's not that Israel didn't want God. It's that they wanted to rely as well on other gods. The God of climate control. A God of productivity as well as the living God. But we know in the scriptures that God searches out to strengthen hearts of those who are fully committed to him. Such was not the case. This is a time of great disloyalty. Now, now standing between humanity and unthinkable wickedness, which I'm sure if you didn't read this text already before you arrived here was pretty shocking standing between unthinkable wickedness is the restraining grace of God I'm not certain if we if we fully comprehend that if God were to withdraw his restraint on evil not just for our sakes, but for the whole world's sake, it would be engulfed in unthinkable wickedness. It, it takes very little of God's withdrawal of restraint for unthinkable things to happen, things that you would never imagine from people who you would never imagine. And governments are a stand-in steward of divine restraint. They're just one of several that God uses and empowers until they aren't. Sort of as a sidebar, before we jump in here, just sort of give you some backdrop for God, the theology of restraint. Um, God, there are four God-given levels of restraint in the world that he has commissioned to hold back evil. We talked last week about where there is no vision, the people perish, or the people cast off restraint. Where there is a lack of God's truth. Where there is a lack of understanding of God's truth, people cast off restraint. Proverbs 29, 18. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And beloved, I'm, 
I'm calling on us, I'm praying for us today that we would heed the instruction of the Lord. So how is it that society wards off being overrun with evil? Well, first of all, God has implanted in every single human being a conscience. We're not going to take the time to dig this up, but this is good for you to do on your own. Romans 2.15 is, is a tremendous verse that that whole section in Romans 2 helps you understand how conscience is, is, is a part of the Imago Dei, the image of God in human beings. We are hardwired to know the difference between what right and wrong. Everyone. That's why in the absence of the word of God, every human will stand before God and give an account for what they had, which is conscience. And if they failed to honor their conscience 100% and always do right, they're damned. That's what makes the salvation of Jesus urgent. Our conscience will never save us because we never are 100% perfect in the right and wrong sensitivities that we have. Ever. There's no human being other than Jesus Christ who's ever done that. There's family. Deuteronomy 6, one following. That's a, the first is our personal warding off of evil. Family is a relational warding. God has placed us in families. Families are a barrier between uh, evil and people. The training of our children, the handing down of righteousness and faithfulness generation to generation is a training in warding off evil. Government is installed by God for the priority purpose of ward, excuse me, warding off evil. That's what Romans 13 is fundamentally about. It's being chirped around a lot and used for every application people want to use it for, but the serious context there is that governments in line with what God's, God's given responsibility to them is, the priority is for them to reward good and punish wrong or evil. That's the role of the government. As you go to the ballot, you go to the election, unless you've already pre-voted, tomorrow, the priority of the government you're electing is to reward good and punish wrong. That's the priority of government. And then the fourth level of restraint of evil in the world is the true church of Jesus Christ. There's plenty of scripture for that. We are a new creation community. We are not like this world. We, are, we house the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. Truth that sets people free. We are called to hold back evil in this world, not become part of it. So those are the levels, just as we sort of understand this responsibility of the restraint of evil. And so it helps us to understand what's going on here. Why in the world is God allowing the king of the Arameans to mobilize his entire army against the people of God? The answer, the simple answer, is because the people were not living a life in faithfulness to God and the government was not restraining evil. In fact, the government was complicit with evil. Joram, the king, was in fact a worshiper of Baal, like his father before him, Ahab. He had abdicated his responsibility as king and God was required to discipline him and discipline the people. So, you know, if you're dabbling in disobedience, you know, if you find yourself in a famine uh, spiritually or emotionally or mentally right now, what must God do to finally grab your attention? Because, because these are the things that 
that had to be done to gain their attention. What, what, what are you going to require God to do to finally get your attention? Now, the, the, the upshot of what we find out here is a famine, in a famine, God can bring plenty from the most unlikely to the most unworthy, praise his name. So look, at, I want to give you quickly three insights that I can find here this morning in the text. When you find yourself in the midst of increasingly unrestrained evil. And the first is this. Beware of engaging in all show religion while two-timing God. There's a lot of people right now, a lot of people naming the name of Jesus Christ who put on a good veneer, put on a good show, but in their lives, they are courting every and any idol you can imagine. We find this evidently obvious in King Joram. It's almost impossible to navigate in society with any sense of security at all if you don't believe your leaders are truthful. It's almost impossible. And ritual hypocrisy at the top invites the disciplinary hand of the Lord. Where do I get that from? In verse 30, there's an interesting characterization of the king that caught the attention of the people. You see what it says there? When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes, and as he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. The king would only put sackcloth on his body as an act of repentance. That's what he was showing, costuming repentance. But in his behavior, he was still worshiping the Baals, the gods of climate, the gods of productivity. While he was Virtue signaling, before that was a word or phrase or juxtaposition, that he was in a state of repentance. Beloved, repentance isn't wearing a costume. Repentance isn't putting on some ritual show. Repentance is actually change of behavior. Otherwise, it's not repentance. Repentance is actually turning from what you're doing that displeases God and making a full change to go in the other direction. That's not a costume. That's not a ritual show by coming to church or reading your Bible or singing praises. Repentance is a change of behavior. And the fact that God is still imposing judgment on the people of Israel and the king of Israel demonstrates that he had not repented. He was just putting on a show. And um, when an army surrounds the city and your livelihood is outside of the walls of that city, a climate god and a Productivity, God, are of no use to you. You can't get to your crops. It doesn't matter whether it rains or the sun shines. You're trapped in the walled fortress of your city and the food is running out. Only repentance could save them. Or an incredible determination on the part of God to express his grace on unworthy people, which we're going to see. So Joram, of course, was Ahab's son, king of Israel. He was the brother who got the, got the of Azariah, who got the throne by default. It's kind of like Prince Andrew becoming king. 
few of you follow the royals, you might know how ghastly that would be. He's putting on quite a show here. You remember from last week that, that Elisha had told the king to be gracious to the Arameans and then let them go, and so he did. But grace without reform is nice, but it isn't righteousness. It was nice that they did good to their enemies. It was nice that they were gracious. But for God, a, a, a mere act of grace here or an act of niceness there is, is not repentance. It's not, doesn't take, it's not righteousness if it doesn't come with repentance. It doesn't come with a change of heart. Charity without obedience fails to capture God's attention. You know that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. And relief is always promised for genuine repentance in the scriptures. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And then everybody usually skips it and goes on to, I will, heal their, I will heal their prayer and heal their land. But we miss something there. What are we missing? What did I miss? Turn from their wicked ways. You can do all the ritual stuff you want. You can feign to be calling out and wailing and praying to God. But if you are not living a life of repentance, turning from those things that displease God and turning away to God, changing behavior through the power of the Holy Spirit, the discipline of the Lord will continue. A broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise, Psalm 51, 17. And when I hear in the text that the king of Israel is screaming for Elisha, the prophet's head, I'm guessing to myself that there wasn't a lot of righteousness going on in his heart. So how bad can it get? Well, you might have to eat a donkey's head which was an unclean animal and it was the worst part of the animal. Or you might have to eat dove's dung. Most of the modern translations have changed it to seed pods. The actual Hebrew words are dove's dung. It was not unheard of or unknown that the famine became so severe that people were eating bird poop and paying for it. You know, it's possible that that was some sort of euphemism for some other thing that we just don't know about as moderns. But I'm such a literalist I can't help myself. Until God proves otherwise, that's what the words actually say in the Hebrew language. All that's pretty bad. But then they started eating each other's babies. And you might say, I, I, don't, I can't even... I'm, I'm sort of caught without breath right now. I don't even know what to do with that. The consequential curses play out for covenantal unfaithfulness. These people were not without warning. If you turn back in your Bibles to De Deuteronomy chapter 28, God warned his people, don't be unfaithful. Stay loyal to the word of God stay loyal to me don't have any other gods besides me he warned them about all this 
Otherwise, here's what happens. Because of the suffering, verse 53 of Deuteronomy 20, because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children, and he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. If God pulls back his hand of restraint of evil and wickedness because of your unfaithfulness, these are the things that will happen. These are not the things that God invents. These are the things that sit waiting to happen because of evil in the world. And the author of evil sits waiting he will not give one of the men any of the flesh of his children that he's eating it will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities the most gentle and sensitive woman among you so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son and daughter the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears for she intends to eat them secretly during the siege and in, in the distress that your enemy will inflict on you in your cities if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you. As I look at masked people. And your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring up on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You, are, you will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. They were not without warning and here... Shockingly, before them, they are living out the consequences of unrestrained evil. When God pulls back his hand of restraint and protection. You know, um, crisis clarifies values. It always does. And the clarity is often horribly disturbing. When, when we've when in crisis we discover what our values really are. As the king is walking along the wall, a woman shouts out up at him, Hey, king! I need to tell you something. And he says, you know, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? Can I go and find some food in the threshing floor? There's nothing there. There's no wine in the wine press. There's no, there's no, there's no grapes to pre press. And she tells him the story of the sons that they'd eaten her son yesterday. And her neighbor won't give up her son for food today. And he tears his robes. Why? Well, that in itself is horrible. But for me, and I think for him, it was her values. She was worried about justice. And they were eating babies. Now, justice is important. <laughs> And justice matters. But it was, it was all that was mattering to her. My neighbor's not being fair. My neighbor's putting me at a health risk. What are you talking about? Justice? 
at a time like this, self-preservation and personal survival makes otherwise nice people desperate devils. It's shocking how quickly people turn on each other. It's shocking how quickly people, yeah, that's what the text said, the, the most sensitive of women, the delicate creature among you, the, the kindest woman, the, the woman that you thought was of, of utmost character and quality will turn wicked in an instant. But for the restraint of God. When evil restraint rolls back, justice and wisdom and compassionate decency become a tangled mess. There are no, there's no sense or rhyme or reason to the, to, the, to the values, the pecking order of the values in a person's life. They just go haywire. It's just all about preservation. It's all about survival. It's all about me. It's all about how I can live. And, and all of your values are just thrown out. It's just, it's just disheartening. It's disheartening. The climate in Christianity is disheartening to me. And I think to you. How quickly and easily we turn on each other. This person's not doing that. This person's not following that. This person's not doing that. This is justice. This, 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 this. Angst over injustice and not the horror of eating babies. There's a lot of ways to cannibalize your children, you know, not just eating them. It's possible to cannibalize their hearts by how they're, what they're seeing you say, what they're reading you write, what they're hearing you say to other believers. There's a lot of ways to cannibalize your children's hearts. God's people can easily become swamped in the, the mess of the damned. How are we different? An application question for me, and um, we're in serious time trouble. What have you become in the last 20 months? What have you become in the last 20 months? Better? Your values are more clarified and more godlike? Or are you angry? All about justice? All about your self preservation? You're acting repentant, but you don't want to give up your idols? Joram fires off a rash email to his um, executioner tells him to get rid of Elijah's head remove it from his body after all he's the prophet who prophesied he's probably called uh, the king to repentance and thinking that wearing the sackcloth was enough that this should be removed so this is all Elisha's fault not only that, I'm sure in the back of his mind it was like, that Elisha, he talked me into being gracious to the Aramean raiding party, and now here the entire army has surrounded the city, and here we are. Let's get rid of Elisha's head. You know, the second observation is expect conflict to increase as God turns up the spiritual temperature of your heart. Expect more conflict. While the executioner is on his way to take off the head of the prophet, Mothers are eating their babies. We find out that Elisha the prophet is gathered in a room with elder, the elders of the city. The only sane event in all of the culture at that moment was Elisha and the elders in their house probably praying. I can't, I can't tell you that for sure, but the fact that, they, that, that the prophet speaks forth a word of God leads me to believe they're probably praying. Asking the Lord, oh God, what do you have for us? 
Nations rage, the faithless cannibalize their children, and the faithful gather together and pray. What is happening today in our country? In rooms like this, there are people, not enough, but there are people gathered for prayer, for instruction, for proclamation, for praising the Lord together, for calling on the Lord. Oh God, what do we need to do? What changes do we need to make? How, how, what would it take to heal our land? Who should we elect? The only sane place in this country today are places like this room. Hear the word of the Lord, Elisha says. This is what the Lord says. Isn't that what we want to hear? Isn't that what we need? This is what the Lord says. That's what we need. We ain't heard all kinds of speculation and all kinds of theories and all kinds of ideas. No, no. We need to hear what the Lord has to say. We need to return to, to abiding by his word and notice that the action of God is always launched by his word. This is what God says. Those who resist the Lord have historically considered the messenger of God the cause of their problems. It'll eventually come down to this in this country. If this thing continues to roll on, on in, years, in, in years yet to come, maybe not even that long, it'll eventually come down to this. The problem in this country, the reason that we're sick in this country, is the Christians. It will eventually get there. They're narrowing it down already. They keep narrowing it down because that's what leaders do who are not really following God. They start blaming everybody else. There's enough blame to go around in this country. And who's our, what's our prime minister out doing? Taking responsibility? No. He's blaming everybody else for all the problems in this country. That's not leadership. And by the way, I'm not making any plugs for anybody because I'm not sure whether there's anybody on the ballot who won't do the same thing. Those who resist the Lord historically, historically look for the messengers of God to blame for the problems. Wicked men, Matthew Henry puts it this way, wicked men will blame anyone as the cause of their troubles rather than themselves and will not leave their sins. And that's what happens here. So are you resting confidently in the Lord or blaming everybody else for your problems? Are you taking responsibility? Are you accountable before God for yourself? Or blaming everybody else around you? Fuming and with the fearful and the angry. Is that what you're doing? Let, let me close it up by this. You know, the guy who hangs on the arm of the king. You know, back in those days, the king was so important, he had somebody just so he could lean on them. <laughs> Can you imagine? I want an arm leaner. I want my own personal person to walk around with and lean on. Anyway, the leaner guy, the guy, the guy whose sole job in life was to be leaned on, that's this guy. He starts chirping. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, sure, uh, everything's going to turn around and we'll be buying stuff, flour for a shekel and two, two doses of barley for a shekel. Oh, sure, that's really going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if God opened up the windows of heaven and started dropping food from the, those windows, could this really happen? You, you know, doesn't everybody need a leaner guy in their life who chirps all the time, stuff like that? You know, you hear some good word from the Lord, you hear something, maybe you got that leaner in your life. They're like, oh yeah, sure, that could never happen. God could never save you. God could never cause you to be healthy. Well, even if he opened up the windows of heaven, you, know, you have, you have a, a, a disease that, that you're going to have to live with. God could never do anything with that. God could never take away COVID. Oh, yeah, you Christians, you're putting your health, you're putting your, your, you're putting your health in Jesus' hands. Sure, 
The teacher from Nazareth is going to look after you now. That's what you believe. That's what you think. That's where you're putting all your trust and all your hopes. So Elisha looks him in the face and says, you will see with your eyes. But you will not get to experience any of the benefits of this. Leaner guy. And here we find that God does the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unbelievable. He stirs up sounds that sounded like a big-time army. And the Arameans left that camp like Americans leaving Afghanistan. (laughs) Why I say that is because they left all their army booty behind. Here, Taliban, have it all. It was good in this case. And so Israel gets the spoils, not because they deserved it. (laughs) There hadn't been any change at all. Grace upon grace, God keeps covenant with his people in spite of their unworthiness. Will he have to come back and discipline them another day? Yeah. He takes them to the edge and saves them again and again and again. Should you try the patience of the Lord? Well, do you want to keep going through this, Israel? God's people, Christians? You got outcasts, lepers. You got a king of little faith and you've got a mocker. One of these is disqualified from grace. You might be an outcast or you might be someone with a little bit of faith. The grace of God will fan that into flame. But if you mock the living God in the face of what you have seen him do, which this leaner guy had seen over and over again, that's unpardonable. That guy's damned. Those who continue in the face of incontrovertible evidence to deny the truth and reality of the Lord Jesus Christ will find themselves unpardoned. Those who mock the magnificence of the Lord will remain unpardoned. They will see his glory and miss out on the eternal benefits of God's grace. So what are you leaning on? The promises of this world or the promises of God? Which do you think won't let you down? God is able to make all things work for the good of those who love him. Can you imagine? (laughs) You know, God can just cause a noise to scare an army away. He has infinite resources, beloved, to help us in this time of our need. Infinite resources. As you're you're anxious about your, your job, you're anxious about your health, you're anxious about your families, you're anxious about your relationships, you're anxious about this moment in our country, God has infinite resources in the most unimaginable ways, to change things in an instant. Turn everything around if you'll but trust him. The mocker got trampled in the stampede to welcome God's glory. The irony is sad. So the Aramean army becomes a charitable donor to Israel. I wonder if Joram sent them a receipt for tax purposes for their charitable gift. I wonder if John MacArthur and Grace Community Church will send a receipt of thanks to the state of California when God decides to bless his people for their righteousness. Are you fully trusting in the Lord for your salvation? Do you believe he alone can save you? Since God is our healer. I feel like right now we're in a time where God is disciplining the world for its arrogance and pride. Convinced that in human intelligence and human ingenuity we can fix anything in this world. I feel like God is 
at odds with that idea. I'm not sure this is about what medicine you take or what medicine you don't take. And hear me, I'm not recommending not do, I'm not, it's not it at all. I think this moment is about humans humbling themselves before the living God and saying, we can't fix everything. We can't fix everything. And in our arrogance, we thought we could. For sure, Christians have to get there. Beloved, we have to be there at least. And we have to show the way. The faithless, arrogant mocker will be bypassed by the salvation of the Lord, but the weak, the desperate, the ones who recognize their great need, the rec- ones who recognize the distant hope of God, the ones who, who recognize that they give, the, give up trusting in themselves will find the Lord very gracious and merciful and will find salvation in Christ. How about you? Father, I thank you for this gaze into the horror of unrestrained evil. And Father, I just believe that we are staring down the same thing, not yet in the same intensity. But if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't turn from our arrogance and our pride and trusting in man, trusting in man's inventions and ideas, and saying that we trust in the Lord, but really trusting more in those things, then we're in for a long time of discipline. And I pray, oh God, that we would turn to you. Each individual will be accountable before you and how, they're, how we're living and turn wholeheartedly to you, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.